And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Power Hour, the Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. I'm thrilled to be joined by my friend and colleague from Stadium, Michael Felder. We will break down all the biggest storylines in college football this week in an hour or less. If you enjoy this podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Andy Stables and Friends show. Five stars because, well, much like your favorite recruits, we want to make an immediate impact in your life. And Felder, it's been a couple weeks, so thank you for coming back and, and not blowing us off entirely and, and for recording this in your, in your garage, which I, I really do admire. Yeah, I, listen, coming to you from the garage, it's, you're in Chicago just like I am. It's a little bit chilly down here, but I'll tell you what, yeah, for my body bit. temperature, a guy that runs hot, it feels good down here to be here. I can get a little bit more excited in the garage because I know that my body temperature is not going to go through the roof. So it all <laughs> works out, and it's good to have a second space. I love that. And, and I mean, I feel like you're actually getting, like, the – most use out of every square inch in your home as physically possible. Like you've got the projector so you can do movies and I guess football. Have you watched a game outside? I actually did. We did uh, like a, we, we've been kind of in a pod with our neighbors. And so we had our neighbors socially distanced watching a movie outside and we watched uh, Fern Gully or Land Before Time or something for the kids. Strong. And, and then after that, kids went to bed and BYU was playing Boise State, so we just kind of I just threw that up on the screen a week ago, and it was pretty cool to like just watch it and be. And my neighbors, it was interesting. My neighbors finally got to see like what cor- what sort of kind of a, like a, a psycho I am with football, where I like just like see things happening, like I'm mid conversation about, oh yeah, and so she goes to this school, and 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 what are they studying right now? And oh why 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 would you do that? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? <laughs> Okay, so, but here, here's the thing. How did they not know that you were a psycho already? Um, I think they know that I was, like, just a general psycho. They didn't know I was like that with football because mm-hmm. nobody ever sees that. That never leaves the home, Nicole. That never leaves the house. And I don't think that they are avid football fans. So this was their first time being like, oh, he sees things in football that other people don't see. Well, true. And also, I mean, I, I'm hoping that they – fell in love with Zach Wilson like the rest of us. Oh, he's he is truly a treat to watch. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about Heisman uh, as the show moves on, but he is it's he's really special. And to go back a few weeks to talk about the Boise State game and the way that they just absolutely thrashed him, we haven't seen that happen to Boise State in a long time. But watching Wilson play and then that that the dynamic he has with uh, Gunnar Romney is mm-hmm. really special, the ability to push the ball down the field. Haven't got to talk about it on this show, but certainly – something that I look forward to when they get to play. And obviously we've got to take a little bit of break before we get to see them play again. But, wow, this is a team that, listen, they, um, they're, they're sitting there just waiting for all the teams above them to mess up so they can climb in. 
They are. And, you know, Zach Wilson is, I mean, hopefully basically a shoe-in for the the virtual Heisman this year. Um, I mean, he, he absolutely deserves it. And we'll, we'll start with some notes because the Heisman, we finally got some details about that this week. And obviously every timeline is shifted. Like we're not knowing the college football playoff teams. Selection day is December 20th. So the voting deadline for the Heisman this year is December 21st. They're going to announce the Heisman on Christmas Eve at 7.30 Eastern on ESPN. And then the winner will be on January 5th. There will be a presentation. So it's just going to be bizarre, as, as all things are in 2020. Um, but at least we finally have some clarity. At least people will hopefully watch all the way through championship week um, before they make their, their picks and their votes. And I know you've got lots of takes and thoughts on this. But let's just hit the other top news of the day. Um, a bunch more postponements announced. We've finally, and I, and I appreciate this, you've got programs just saying, hey, listen, between isolation and quarantine, this is a two-week deal. Um, the latest is Miami. We actually didn't know anything about them having an outbreak. Yeah. They immediately uh, postponed their next two games, caused a whole bunch of ACC reshuffling which is why they built the schedules the way that they did. Um, also, this past uh, 24 hours, 48 hours, South Carolina filed Will Muschamp. They owe him more than $13 million. Mike Bobo is the interim head coach. And the, honestly, I think the most interesting thing that happened Monday was actually not directly impacting college football, but it was college basketball announcing that all of the early rounds of the tournament are wiped and they are going to have all of the rounds in Indianapolis or at least around Indianapolis, which basically creates a bubble for college basketball. Now, I think the regular season is going to be a disaster, but they are protecting the crown jewel. They're protecting the end of the tournament. And I think immediately people go, well, then why can't college football do a bubble? (laughs) Well, uh, the amount of people, the uh, amount of places, the logistics of it all seems really, really tough. And 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 in the, like, I don't think folks realize this on a on a micro scale that college football is essentially it's what are we talking about? Seven, eight different NFLs. If you doubled the NFL roster and mm. then created some sort of wild discrepancies between the money that's that's at stake or what the money that people have so it's not nearly as easy to do that but we're watching the listen why can the nba do a bubble and the nfl can't do a bubble i think it's the same thing right so it's for the ncaa and listen i'm not going to pretend to know a ton about college basketball i don't you're you're the expert here on that and i'm not uh but i'm very curious to see what that looks like when we get to it uh, for now, with the college football, the, the closest thing to a bubble that college football has been able to ch- at least try and do, and obviously with the cancellations from last week and moving forward, it's not working out perfectly, at least, uh, to be to put it, uh, to, to, to sugarcoat it, is try to do conference only or try to do in-state only or try to do those things. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, let's be real. Like, it's been... We're we're looking at, at 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 Cal play UCLA at noon on a Sunday, after you know getting what forty eight fifty six hours notice that they're going to play those games. Like that's a, it's a that's a very different thing for football and what football prep looks like compared to basketball. Yeah, and I think if we can trust Chip Kelly and his math, I mean I think it was like forty three hours, which Ooh. is just wild. 
and thoughts and prayers to to the GAs that were involved in this. I mean, just cannot it's imagine. It's a nightmare. <laughs> like, like I'll be real. Like, I'll go through it. You either practice on Sunday or Monday, right? And mm-hmm. Sunday or Monday is the day that you practice. And you go through conditioning, and it's a light get you back into the field and try to introduce the game plan for the week. And Tuesdays, your hard, Tuesdays and Wednesdays are your hard days of practice. And that's when you go through your game plan. That's where you install all your individual game adjustments and scenarios and situations. So they got through all those things for the game that they thought they were going to have. Installed all these new plays, installed their script, went through their script. Script, for those that don't know, script is your first either 10 to 25 plays depending on your coach. You re- It's literally like rehearsal. You go through those plays over and over and over and over again, and there's some adjustment there, but the reality is, is those are the plays that you know and you run them so much that – once you get off script, which is why we see teams often get out to a 14-point lead and then they don't score anymore. Oh, wow. Oh, we got off script and we're not as rehearsed as what we are in these things. Mm-hmm. And you, you get through all those things. You get to Thursday or you get to Friday in this case. If you're saying it's 43, we get to what? That's Friday? I'm not great at math, but I think that's a Friday. And Friday, midday, they tell you, oh, switch it up. If you guys want to get a game, you're going to have to play here. And that is tear it all down, rebuild it overnight, also, get on a plane, get on a bus, whatever it is, and then go there and get ready to play this game. That's a lot of stress and strain on a coaching staff. It's a lot of stress and strain on players. It's also, and we saw, that game was sloppy. It was, and that's the reality of it because, and I will say this, Chip Kelly did win out because it looked like he was he was just going to do what he was going to do no matter what. It just happened to be that Cal wasn't. They weren't in a mindset to be fully prepped to, to, to combat it, and it's really tough to adjust that way. So I didn't mean to derail things, but I did want to say that like, it is a major strain for staff and players to adjust that way. That doesn't even include when you talk about the logistics staff of a university. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And that's the craziest thing. I mean, first of all, I'm going to use... I texted Martin Jarman, the UCLA AD, and I said, thank you for now becoming Exhibit A. Anytime someone schedules a football game 15 years out, 
I am going to use this example of the fact that they were able to play a game scheduled two days before, right? It is physically possible, but it's not easy. And I think this was one of those moments that, you know, we, we've had so many of them where it's like only in 2020 and it's do whatever you take to get as many games in as possible. And that's exactly that reason, because that was not a decision made, you know, for the health and safety and well-being of the athletes or, you know, the mental strain on the coaches or whatever. Right. Like that was to get a game in. And, and so I think that like you see that happening, you see the rash of postponements and cancellations, which, by the way, we fully expected to happen this time of year we maybe didn't necessarily see the caseloads the numbers being so insane across the country but everyone did expect them to go up as it got colder people spent more time inside um, and just covid was going to spread more across the country so you have that and then you're also at the point in the season now where games get canceled they're not getting postponed. They're not going to get made up. Even we see a lot of press releases that are like, well, right now they don't have an open date, but we're going to see if we can make it work. Those games are going to get canceled. There's going to be a lot of canceled games. So everyone naturally freaks out and wonders if we can finish the season. And I don't know. I mean, th- this conversation to me goes in circles a lot because it's very different than it was in July and August when you hadn't started yet. Like, we are fully in it. We are used to a world where the SEC had four postponements or cancellations and we played on like Saturday wasn't that exciting. Like there were no I don't think there were any ranked versus ranked games because we lost so many off the schedule. And then, you know, teams like Clemson were on a bye. But I don't know. We, we did it. We, we, we went through it. We handled the disruptions. Everyone wants to just say we're going to we're expecting disruptions. So at this point, I don't see what derails it, except it's like state advisories, shelter in place stuff. But most of these programs, like the Michigan schools, are exempt from theirs. Like I, I, to me, I just think, you know, everyone is so focused on this December 19th finish line for the regular season conference championships. And we're not that far away from it. Like, yes, you know, it's it's tough to see this many games canceled. It absolutely sucks for the players. But I think we're going to get through it. Yeah, we're listen, the finish line's going to come hell or high water. And I think that's the reality. And I think that's what the NFL kind of showed us. And I think that's what college football, that's the model that college football, and model's not even the right word because college football started first. But I think that's the the mindset that's going to exist is we're going to get there. And maybe we get there with some of Maybe we get there with some of you. Maybe some of you don't make it. But right. as a sport, we are going to get across the finish line. And that's why they have not adjusted the dates. I think that obviously the – Heisman has adjusted dates, but that's not the playoff, and that's not the bowl. That's not the bowl games, and we've seen some bowl games decide. You know what? We're going to have to take a step back, and we're not going to do it this year. But the reality is, is we're going to get there. It's about how many bodies we get across the finish line, not so much about getting to the finish line. And so, I think looking at the programs that are, it's not even about handling it well. It's a lot of it is about it's about luck, right? Totally. A lot of it's it's about luck. And the reality is, 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 is we're dealing with a a Wisconsin team that can't afford bad luck because they don't control Purdue or they don't control, they don't control any of the other teams on their schedule. But if one of those teams has a mistake or one of those teams can't go, then they are a team that now is not eligible to play for the Big Ten Championship. I think the same thing happens with Nebraska, Nebraska and Purdue are already in a bad spot. Why? Not for they anything lost. they did. They lost because, the game. Because of Wisconsin. So I think it is. it does boil down to luck, and it does boil down to everybody following their own 
uh, established protocols. So I think we get to the finish line. I think that, goodness, we got to get to the finish line. This has been the longest season that, <laughs> I know. In, in my career. I know, and we still we still have so much to go. The regular season, obviously, we're not – usually this would be, you know, kind of winding down. Wrap it up. Heading into conference championships, all the big rivalry games around Thanksgiving. Like, our body clocks are totally off. But I will say, too, I think that – some of the conversation about should you push the playoff back, you know, all of these things, it's kind of missing the uh, the main point and the main thinking of the the power brokers, the, the people who are probably 10 times as tired as us, who've been on Zooms every day and who have been trying to make the season happen. They want to get a season in. They want to have a semblance of a college football playoff, crown a champion, and then be done. Yes. They want to get to next year. They want to not affect the spring. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm raising my hand. I have a question. Yes. Because you, you're more in touch with a lot of the power brokers than I am. And so this is the question that I have because you're right. They want to get to the spring, and they want to kind of have a normal 2021. Yes. But the thing that I wanted to ask is how likely are they to work together in all of this? Because there's been so much infighting between the power five and – it used to be Power 5 versus Group of 5, and Notre Dame was wrapped into that, and now it feels like it's ACC, SEC, Big 12 versus the Big 10 versus the Pac-12, and what is that infighting going to do when we get to the end of the year? Because that's another element that we've never experienced before. Yeah, and, and I, again, I think that one there, there's one main thing to focus on when you think about that. The fact that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 eventually reversed course to get back into a fall season, no matter how short it was going to be and how obviously the Pac-12 knew that they were not going to have a great shot at the playoff, it was about getting back aligned. Like, they're still having their calls, the commissioners of those leagues, even if they're tired of each other, even, you know, after that split, um, you know, but but they're back on the same calendar, which is which is key. Now, here's another reason that you won't push anything back. First of all, there's no way of saying, like, oh, February would be more likely to get games in or less outbreaks than January in a pandemic. Like, that's... That's not going to make a difference. But second of all, no one wants to extend the season just to get a couple regular season games in. And that's a talking point I've been seeing from Pac-12 country, right? Like they've had some cancellations already. They don't have that many games to begin with. Let's push everything back a few weeks. The point of this is not to get a regular season in at this point. It is to get to the finish line and it is to get to the playoff. The reason that so there's been so much motivation to play the season has a lot to do with the college football playoff and the money that comes in, right? So at this point, you don't want to – it doesn't matter if Alabama plays 10 games versus 9. It doesn't matter. It matters if they can get to the playoff. And then at that point, if one of the four teams that's in the playoff has an outbreak or something pops up and you need to push an individual game back, you do that. But that is very different than delaying the postseason – just to get regular season games in. I mean, everyone's concerned about like their TV inventory and how many games they get in, but that pales in comparison to like finishing a season and having a postseason. Plus, in the next month here, a lot of these campuses are emptying. All of the regular students are going home. So to your point about kind of creating a bubble or whatever is close-ish to that in college football, this will be it because they will be, it will just be athletes on these campuses in, in most cases. And so... 
you know, I, I just think, you know, you've got to put yourself in the shoes of these commissioners. And it's about the playoff at this point. And again, it would be nice, you know, if you're Ohio State, it'd be nice to play nine games versus eight. But that's not what this is about. As long as they can get in the playoff, that's what matters. No, I, I, I like that. I think you're spot on. Let's um, listen. We've got some other stuff that we want to hit, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of road to burn out here. Um, so looking at it, and so we've talked about that, and we've talked about getting to the playoff from a path to the playoff standpoint. Notre Dame seems to be in the driver's seat for their destination for their des for to get to that destination. Oregon is still. I was kind of up in the air. I guess the reality is. Oregon is still going to need some help, it feels yes. like, even if they finish undefeated. But the big thing for me is the flip side of those games, right? The games that they just played, BC, Washington State. And looking at the way that people were trade, like you don't get into the red zone against Notre Dame's defense, which I am a believer in now. I was not a believer two weeks ago. I'm a believer now of, their, of Notre Dame's defense. You don't get into the red zone on them five, six times and then come away with a couple field goals and one touchdown. You can't win that way. And I think we got to look at college football as a whole. Washington State, the same thing. Getting into the red zone against Oregon, and then, oh, oops, field goals. Oh, we missed – we didn't get there. I think we got to look at college football, and the reality is is you got to score touchdowns. And these touch, – like, not scoring touchdowns has been the downfall. And, I mean, goodness, why don't we just loop Georgia back in there, too, as a team that just cannot score touchdowns uh, when they need them. But points are the – and it's, it sounds stupid and kind of cliche, but points are the currency that college football is built on. But the reality is, is the defense, defenses now fi- figure out who you are. They find you. And if you don't get those scores in early, we referenced the script earlier. If you don't get those points in early, you're not going to get them in late. And ultimately, that's going to make you a loser, which is what we saw with BC trying to pull. They, BC looked like they were in control of that football game. Until you looked at the scoreboard and realized they didn't get touchdowns. That was yeah. – I mean, that's got to be frustrating. Like, when you were watching that game, what was your takeaway? Because mine was, I think I think uh, Jerkovic is outplaying him, at least especially in that first half, for the first, I'll call it, 65 minutes of the game. He was outplaying him, outplaying the guy who beat him out for the job or they wouldn't give him a chance to beat out for the job. And then they just couldn't close the door. You don't close the door, guess what? They're coming back in the house and they're going to get the dub. And, and here's where I think, you know, when you look at programs that have taken that proverbial step, spent a lot of time digging around on Indiana this week. They are great in the red zone. And they almost always score touchdowns. And when you think about, like you're saying, you know, teams that are underdogs in games or, okay, in Indiana, this is a team that historically, but especially in recent history, would play teams like Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State really close, mm-hmm. but then fall apart, right? Like, it's, it's, it's those types of little differences. It's like third down conversions. It's red zone opportunities. It's these little things. And that's where you see an Indiana team that went from losing those games to eking one out, which basically broke Penn State in the opener, and Penn State's been broken since. And then you're just thoroughly dominating teams like Michigan and Michigan State, which you are better than right now if you're, as Indiana. Also, another key, which, again, you're going to need to do if you're an underdog, which, again, you need to understand all of this. There's, there's a reason that certain coaches are good underdog coaches, and some of them aren't, because stuff like that, it's, it's knowing you need touchdowns, not field goals, but also another thing that Indiana does, and you know I'm obsessed with them, so I'm going to keep using them as the example, they also, when they get a turnover, 
they score points out of it. They have 12 turnovers and 51 points off of them. Like, that is the mark of, A, a, a team that knows what they're doing, but also knows how to capitalize. So that's why, like, it's not fluky what they're doing, whereas, like, you can see what happened to BC in a game that they, they were in, but they weren't actually in. Yeah, no, I'm so let's let's stay Big Ten. Indiana, I'm going to ask you one thing, and then I'm going to get to the West, right? Indiana, you're a believer. Yes. Okay, I love I mean, that. Again, I don't know what that means for this Saturday, but general <laughs> believer, yes. I, I'm a general believer as well. I, I think that defensively we don't give them enough credit. We t- so much time talking about uh, the offense, but defensively I think they're really good as well. Now let's get over to this to, to Northwestern. Are you a believer? Um, I'm a believer in the defense. I think they're good on all levels. Um, I think the offense is, again, you, you're starting from the ground level. Like the bar was so low that now you have an offense that can actually come back in a game or can can win the ba- like a time of possession battle. Um, I don't know if they can win a game. Like I don't know if they can they can hang against Wisconsin, but the defense will keep them in it, and they're really good at winning one possession games. Well, everything they do is one possession, right? Like everything that they do, it's like yes. I was I have a coworker who is a uh, he went to Northwestern. I think his kids go to Northwestern, and he absolutely love he's like i love it i'm watching they're they're winning this is fantastic and they're doing a great job and northwestern is doing great and so my coworker is excited because northwestern's doing great and he supports northwestern and the whole deal and i was like yeah i i don't love watching them play at least on offense but on defense i love watching them play defense because it does and this is i don't mean to boost myself up but it seems like they got a bunch of me's out there <laughs> guys who are they the fastest guy? Probably not. But what do they do? They do their job. They're in the right place at the right time. They know the play before the play is ran because they've done their homework. It's a bunch of smart, heady guys playing defense. I know that's cliche because it's Northwestern, right? But the reality is, is when you have guys that all do their job and all line up in the right spots and all know, and they're all on the same page. My old coaches say, if we're all wrong, we're all right. So it doesn't mean that they're playing all everything correct the exact time but they're all on the same page And when they're all on the same page they can get stops and when they get stops i don't know how peyton ramsey is doing it they find what do they call them super backs at 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 northwestern i believe they call them super backs not tight ends and they find these guys and he's just he's he's finding a guy that's kind of curled up behind a linebacker oh i hit him this guy runs for an extra 20 yards oh don't worry my wide receiver uh snuck behind the corner because the guy wasn't paying attention, and we got we got an extra yard. So they're creating chunk plays, which is critical, and they're doing all these things that I think are really really cool. So yeah, I I think if Northwestern and it's it's odd we're saying this about a Wisconsin team who their main goal when they played in big games is to ugly the game up. I think for Northwestern they ugly this game up and ugly up a game against Wisconsin. They've got an opportunity to go get a win because as you mentioned, they're really good in those one score affairs. They are the best team in the country, tied with Navy, since Pat Fitzgerald got there in one-score games, in winning them. 48 since 2006, which is just an insane stat. And, and, and I'm with you, though, that I, I think we're used to seeing also, Wisconsin. Also yes. insane to have a coach since 2006. So just also put true. that in there. Yes, <laughs> also true. And not be totally sick of him. But, yes, um, I, I think that one thing that's going to be really interesting in that matchup, too, is Wisconsin – is winning games differently. I mean, like, Graham Mertz is a difference maker, and he is clearly already a star and going to be a star in this league. 
Um, and so, you know, you're kind of got the, obviously strength versus strength in this game, but also again, a team that likes is comfortable in close games and a team that's blown everybody out so far. And again, and, and also had a two week, um, COVID issue break and didn't seem like they missed a beat as well, which I guess, you know, against Michigan this year, anyone can do so who knows. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. So let's get into the Big 12. And and listen, we got um, Tom Herman, Urban Meyer, a guy he used to work for. And now all of a sudden they've got – he's got – listen, it's not – I'm not going to call it beef, but not great situation. It's definitely getting beef-like, I, I think. Um, even just the way, like, Urban's talked about Texas on TV. Um, but, yeah, the latest chapter in this saga on Monday was Tom Herman was saying – and complaining that rumors about Urban Meyer becoming the next Texas coach were hurting the Longhorns in recruiting because opposing schools just his hit print and show it as recruits, show it to recruits to use against Texas. Um, first of all, I would think that if recruits heard that Urban Meyer was going to be the next Texas coach, that would help recruiting. That's just my number one thought. But two, like, that definitely is an interesting and complicated situation. Like, I, I do wonder how you navigate things like it. Like, and I want to get your thoughts on Jim Harbaugh, Michigan, too, right? These situations that, like, it feels really dicey. And I, I do think Tom Herman and Jim Harbaugh are in different categories of dicey. But, like, that is an awkward dynamic, I think, when you do have things are so bad to the point that other coaches or whoever can negatively recruit against you like assuming that you're going to be fired. Like that is a strange, just a, a fundamentally strange dynamic in this sport. Well, I, I want to get, well, well, before we do that, what do you think is the difference between Herman and Harbaugh category of Dicey? Okay, well, to me, it feels like Harbaugh, there's no way out at this point. Like it doesn't feel like there is a possible turnaround or win that would change. I mean, obviously, I guess beating Ohio State, but that that's not going to happen. Whereas I do ah. think winning a little bit has cooled cooled the hot seat a little bit for Texas in a certain way. And I, I just think it, it just feels different. Like you're, you're, you're there's record breaking lows that Michigan is going through right now. Like there, there was a stat during the Wisconsin game that it was like their largest halftime deficit at home since the big house was built. And Ooh. since it was open, like I was at Michigan and covered the three years of Rich Rod. There were a lot of lows and the first times ever and the first time since forever. And they are hitting them now with Jim Harbaugh, which so to me, the issue is also 
you have a dynamic where it's the guy. Every fan base has that white whale that they always wanted. Michigan got it, and it's not working. So that makes it, I think, even more uncomfortable and clear that, like, it's just there, – there's just no way forward, right, when, when you've regressed this much – um, when you're supposed to be a quarterback guy, and not only is this guy not the quarterback, you're now opening up the quarterback competition week five because you can't figure anything out, and you're coming off a game where you just got blown out by Wisconsin, like the worst loss to Wisconsin in, in program history, and it was in the like the, the game didn't even feel as close as the score reflected. If it had gone on another four quarters, Michigan was not going to score any more points. Like it was just you're at this low that just feels like you're you're just you, you think it's the bottom but you can't you keep going further like you thought the Michigan State loss was the bottom or then the next week and what Michigan State is doing that's not a great football team like it all just continues to get worse whereas Texas and again I understand there's different dynamics in all of these places and that people are very very frustrated with him but it feels like a different level of like resignation about the end of a tenure so the reason I ask you um, what the discrepancy or what the difference was was because when you said they couldn't get out from underneath it, I was thinking they couldn't get out from underneath of like Harbaugh and his contract, whereas Texas feels like it's a lot easier exit scenario for them with Tom. But Herman. here, but here's the thing: the Harbaugh deal is his contract's up next year, so there's actually a way out where again, and, and this is it's going to have to end in a peaceful way. Well, that's because that's this- the part: it's less money and more like. He needs like an exit. He needs like a, you know, Another a parachute, job. golden parachute from the NFL somewhere. And, you know, Michigan needs to say like, hey, we don't want to extend you. So you, you need to do this. Nudge, nudge. Like, and, and there needs to be an outcome that way. Whereas Texas to me is just more of a like a straight situation of like, okay, we're just going to make a coaching change and, and pony up the money. Yeah, that's that's what I was kind of getting at is like they don't want to like kick the guy who was their guy out. So he ain't. Something else needs to happen, and then also, but guess what? When you don't win games, the new job offers don't come calling. <laughs> so it makes well, it, that too. makes it a little That's... tougher to do it. Um, for me, looking at Texas and Tom Herman, and let's, what are we, back two years ago, Texas is back, we beat Georgia and the Sugar Bowl to just a nightmare, and then this year another just uh, lackluster situation. And listen, I was a believer. I bought it. We talked about it on the show. I, I thought that they figured out things to, to make this offense work at Michigan. So now to watch it not work, and oh, goodness, my wife went to Michigan State. So to see Michigan State beat them, and it, so I'm, I'm looking at it from the opposite side as you, right, where I'm looking at it as like, oh, Michigan State fixed some stuff because they beat a Michigan team that was pretty good on week one. And then you watch the next two games, and you're like, oh, no. So You know, listen, I blame Minnesota for all of this. <laughs> Minnesota – caused all of these problems they coming off of their season they did last year we thought they were decent we thought that 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 opening season opening win mattered which then created a dynamic and expectations around Michigan and Joe Milton which then was impacted when Michigan State beat them and then in reality Michigan and Michigan State are both not in great shapes so like I do blame Minnesota for most of the conflict and issues in the Big Ten this year yeah I mean listen they rode that boat right into the the iceberg, and it's not just <laughs> them did. that's going down. It's everybody else, too. So, um, Auerbeck, you want to get into uh, Last Call? 
Yes. Okay. I have a really good one. So just for a reminder, um, this is our segment where we either rant about something. It's just basically our last call before the bar closes. Before we are done drinking, you're either giddy and you're happy and you want to celebrate something or more likely you're angry about something. And that's where I am. So that's what I'm going to start with. I Again, we're talking about potential coaching changes. I, I understand why they're happening. I understand even in a pandemic and financial crisis, people can bring, you know, get donors together and get millions of dollars to buy people out. Um, despite the fact that you have athletic departments, including South Carolina's, that have made cuts, they have put people on furlough. And, you know, again, all of these things, yet, yet, they are buying out a coach over $13 million not to coach football at South Carolina. So my rant here is just, let's not normalize this. We we normalize it in every other year. We even rationalized Willie Taggart's buyout of $20 million being paid not to coach. But we are in the middle of a pandemic, and which is causing a financial crisis. All of these athletic departments are, tr- they're, they're laying off staffers in these athletic departments that make like $40,000 a year. Yet, they're going to pay millions and millions of dollars to get rid of coaches and then millions and millions to bring in an entirely new staff. So my rant here is just, let's look at the context of what's happening here. I, again, I know you can't stop changes. I know that this idea of not having hot seats, not making changes, giving everyone a mulligan this year is clearly not happening. But let's not normalize the fact that people are spending eight figure buyouts that much money on people not to coach while we're going through a crisis financial crisis i am just repeat this week to week because this is going to keep happening i know this is going to keep happening and i'm going to keep being annoyed about it your turn yeah no listen i uh, old what's the old thing it's cheaper to keep her and at the end of the day like just The, uh, like you don't get to tell like you don't get to lay off the bottom of your pyramid to keep the top because nobody's they're not oh but but that's college football that's yeah, college sports you're right and I guess that's uh yeah okay here we go for me <laughs> I'm gonna go, go. With the, I'm gonna go with the Heisman and the Heisman is something I've got a, a difficult relationship with the Heisman in general because you don't get to look me in my eyes as a college football observer and tell me as a college football analyst and tell me that the best player can only be a quarterback. You don't get to tell me that the most outstanding player in college football can only be a quarterback. We have offensive linemen that can be a defensive. You tell me Aaron Donald wasn't the best player when he was coming out because he was. You tell me Indomitian Sue wasn't the best player coming out because he was and it's reflected in where they get picked and how they perform at the next level I'm sorry but that's just the reality of the situation there's there's no reason Colt McCoy should have been in New York and Indomitian Sioux wasn't there that's crazy so that's the that's where that's the level that I, the basis that I'm operating from to start but then when you tell me that it is a quarterback award and and, and I will say this I've been cut out of an out of a out of, out of a Heisman special for being upset about it being a, uh, a, a, a quarterback award. I, I did a whole thing with for CNN. They sent me up to the big Turner in New York City. Oh, you're going to do this Heisman thing. And then I just was like, this award sucks. And it didn't go great. So they, 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 they edited it around me. But here's the thing for me. If you're going to tell me that it is a quarterback award, okay. 
So what are we looking at now? Are we looking at the quarterback's play? Are we looking at the quarterback's numbers? Are we looking at the quarterback's numbers? Are we looking at the games that he's played? Are we looking at the competition? What are we looking at when it comes to the Heisman? This here, year? here, let me just interrupt. Uh, we're looking at total wins, which, again, are not only the quarterback's job. And um, right now we're also looking for playoff caliber teams. Yeah. Which, again, does not necessarily reflect the best individual player in the country. Right. It's uh, Essentially, the award is the best quarterback on the best team. And in the case of Joe Burrow, I didn't feel that bad about it. In the case of Kyler Murray, I didn't feel that bad about it. But the reality is, in this year, when we are dealing with teams playing different, like Justin Fields is going to play fewer games than Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, even with missing games, will still play more games than Justin Fields. So how do we evaluate that? And Mac Jones, I'm sorry, but if you think Mac Jones, if you think Mac Jones is the best player on Alabama's offense, you need to go get your skull examined, my man, because that's insane. But he's going to be in there, but he will have played more games than Justin Fields and probably have better numbers than Justin Fields. Okay, so now what's next? Kyle Trask. And Kyle Trask Again, if you think Kyle Trask is the best player on his offense, you're crazy. That's why some of us have been hashtagging Pitts for Heisman for weeks. He's great. I love Kyle Pitts. I, listen, he got smashed by Cena. That was a vicious hit. But point being, if and I guess this is the way that I think about it, and it's frustrating to me to hear Heisman voters talk about how well, if you miss games, it's going to be tough for you to win the Heisman. Oh, if I miss games, it's going to be tough for me to win the Heisman, even though I played more games than these other guys that you're going to put in for the Heisman? That's or, what just, or just in a year where no one's going to play the same amount of games. It's, in, it's, it's, not, it's clearly not standardized how many games are going to be played this year. It's clearly not standardized um, how many games are going to be played by your team or how many games you're going to be allowed to play, uh, obviously in the case of Trevor Lawrence testing positive for COVID-19. So none of it is standard. The idea... I'm okay with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. but And I guess I, I was going to go into the games thing, but honestly, as I got into this rant, uh, Nicole, the reality for me is if you were writing down who the best players are on Florida or on Alabama, no one's list starts with Trask or Jones. And if your list doesn't start with them, then why are they on your Heisman list? It doesn't make any sense to me. And I guess that, to me, there we go. We I talked my way through it, but that's the button. If your list for who the best player on that team is doesn't start with the guy that you want to put into the Heisman race, maybe we need to reevaluate why we're putting guys into the Heisman race. Yes, I, I totally concur. I will virtually cheers you to that because I agree, and I also always tend to – Try to at least, again, tight ends, receivers, defensive players, anyone we can get in the mix and at least talk about, I think we should yes. because I am also tired that it's quarterback reward. Although I will say personally, because I know you, again, you, you, you make points about like people that look like you, players that play like you did. I like to think as a two-time powder puff quarterback <laughs> that I identify with these quarterbacks the most, of course, um, you know, uh, skill, speed, um, accuracy, arm strength, all of these For things. Sure. Toughness. So, yeah, exactly. So I, I do think that like I have more, again, before kind of talking it out and also just like naturally always trying to highlight people who aren't 
quarterbacks um, for the award. I've never really had too much of an issue with it, but I think you're absolutely right that if you're not willing to say that that is even the best player on their own team, then they can't be the best player in the country. And I think that that is the simplest way to put it. And also a great ending place because I feel like we worked through a lot of issues yeah, today. We got we got but through we, a lot. Yeah, Lee, thank you so much for helping me unpack that baggage. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I am like I am I am the college football therapist of the week, well, and and I think that um, you know I'm I'm gonna have to play that role a lot with with this idea of like college football playoff pushing it back and delaying the season. I'm gonna have to talk everyone through it until they understand it and are at peace with it. That's just. That's the role I will take in in college football this week. Well, Falder, this was great. Thank you for your return. Glad you survived the garage experience. It's been fantastic. This is it's always great to hop on with you and talk a little college football. And yes, you listen. You're the guru. You helped me talk through it. I feel better <laughs> now. I'm going to go up and make dinner and be ready to rock and roll. Awesome. Well, thanks again for listening to Power Hour. We'll be back next Tuesday. Andy Staples will be back tomorrow, as always. And Ari Wasserman will be back with Andy on Fridays for whatever degenerate gambling tips and ridiculous um, bets they place on each other, as always. We will see you next Tuesday, next Power Hour. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 